Miriam Tazi in the house. And Malcolm Riddle. What's happening? Oh, you know, same old, same old. Really? That's what you're going to say? <laughs> well, you heard it, people. And welcome to another episode of American Riddle. She's ready. And I'm ready. Mm. Just hope you're ready. Because we have a special guest on today's podcast. Oh, yeah? Who's that? Francis Gary Powers. Oh. Junior, actually. Oh, nice. Yep. It, we, uh... I think I've mentioned him a couple times on a podcast about trying to nail down guests. Yeah, you've been working on it for a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> I was trying to be diplomatic about it. <laughs> Let me turn this down a little bit. Yeah, well, it took a while because... He's uh, a busy man. He's very busy, and uh, those of you listening may not know who Francis Gary Powers Jr. is. He is the son of uh, Francis Gary Powers that I gathered, yeah. There you go, because yeah. he's the junior. Yeah. Uh, Francis Gary Powers, uh, I guess, is um, he was a uh, uh, pilot that was shot down over the uh, over Soviet Union airspace back in back in 1960, and it caused a bit of a ruckus, bit of a stir, <laughs> bit of a controversy. You know, I mean, it was the 60s. An it was uproar. An uproar. That's right. <laughs> That's right. It was an incident. So mm. things got heated. Okay. You know what I mean? And, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's it's in the history books. But a lot of people don't even know this story. They don't know it. And we're going to find out more about it? We're going to find out. And actually, uh, like I said, we, we meaning Gary and I, uh, sat down and we talked uh, the other day. So this is going to be that interview. But it was a long time coming. I think we were planning it back, I guess, before the holiday season of 2015, right? I think something like that. Because yeah. we were bouncing back back and forth and trying to you know trying to nail it down and it's difficult because uh steven spielberg came out with a film uh you know roughly i guess six months or so ago called bridge of spies Mm -hmm. starring tom hanks and uh gary powers was uh, gary powers jr was a uh, consultant on it and even has a uh has a cameo appearance in the film as well and we'll we'll talk about that in the on the interview but uh yeah he was he's been going around touring uh, giving lectures about the film and the Cold War, uh, he has a uh, uh, you know a stake, actually a lot in a stake in the era, uh, just because of course he's related so closely related to this story, but also his passion about uh, about uh, building the Cold War Museum in the Washington D.C. area. Oh, that's cool. Which we will t- which will be on the interview as well. Um, but yeah, it was a long time coming, and just trying to. Uh, trying to book him and get him because him and I go back uh, when I had the wine shop uh, back in 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003, and so on. Mm-hmm. I worked with him when he was the president of the Vienna Tyson's Regional Chamber of Commerce. So that's how you met him? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's how I met him. That's cool. And even at the time when I met him, I didn't really put one and one together mm. until I told my brother when I was up for Entrepreneur of the Year back in 2004 mm-hmm. and finally won it and i remember talking to my brother he goes do you know who <laughs> do you know who that is gary powers is my brother my older brother is big into politics so and i i you know i i think i thought about it or or someone had said something but it just didn't it, it didn't sink in yeah. you know what i mean it happens sometimes and gary talks about it in the podcast when he goes to i mean in yeah in the podcast interview when he goes to different uh, uh, venues, mm-hmm. schools to, mm-hmm. to to lecture. The the kids will look at him 
uh, not knowing what, you know, the U2 incident was. You know, when you hear U2, what do you think about? The band. That's right. But uh, not the spy plane. So, mm-hmm. uh, you, I mean, you have to, it's important that we know our history and it's it's important that we know our past. And we've talked about this in the arts and music and hip hop. And just as important it is to know that you don't, you don't want to stay, you know, it's not, we're not saying be stuck in the past, but you should know it and recognize it and it should be taught. You know, there's a lot of things today that it's just not being taught in today's school system. There are things being left out or glazed over. Is it glazed? Yes. Omitted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Glazed over. I guess that means that they touch on it, but yeah. And and, and some things that they may or may not even touch on this. So it's important, and and you know we we uh, we went to a, we being my son and I went to a meeting uh, with Gary on Wednesday, um, and it was important that I brought my son because bringing him and connecting with Gary and sharing that story, you know, it's was he interested? Like, did he think it was? Yeah, yeah. like was he into it or at all? Or is he asking questions? Was he involved? Like, was he? Yeah, yeah, he curious? he is, he is. He, he had met Gary before, like when he was like two. Well, you know what I mean? I when I won Entrepreneur of the Year, they put us on a on a float. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. I had <laughs> the right. I had a sash, <laughs> I had a sash, and I was waving to the to public. You know how they do the wave? The, the uh-huh. what are they? Mm-hmm. Models? What are they? The um. The beauty beauty pageant pageants, yeah. yes. <laughs> the they pageant wave and you girls. have to you have to wave a certain way. I was on there I was on the float. That was a, a big moment. But the the, the Vienna <clears throat> uh the local newspaper actually did a big article on uh on me uh for, for achieving that and took a picture and it's a picture of my son and I. Aww. And my son still has that picture to this day. Aw That's what stop. he told me. I didn't even know. That's cute. Yeah, he said he had it, so that, that was sweet. Yeah, that was that was cool, and it was it was cool to reconnect with Gary. And, and Gary hadn't seen uh, Justin in in many moons, so oh. uh, Justin's all all grown up or growing up. Uh, so that, I like uh, how things are coming full circle. Like this. it is cool. It's nice. It, it was cool, and and yeah, and 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 to to Gary's credit, you know, just to be able to make time because uh, he's a busy busy. I mean, uh, if you follow him on social media, you'll see that he. I mean, he's been. All over the country, East Coast, the West Coast, Flint, Michigan. He's been all over, and he talks about that in the interview. Cool. And uh, you know, I did, I just stay on top of him. I mean, sometimes you know, you hear, you've heard me talk about it, and com- you've heard me complain about nailing down guests <laughs> many, you know, one or once or two times, right? <laughs> yeah, just a, just a touch of times. Yeah, it was a lot, a lot. You do, it's okay, but you're, you're ambitious, you're passionate, you want it to happen. I mean, I understand that, but you're also a busy man. You're hard to nail down. So you can understand how it's like that. Yeah. And sometimes it's, it's challenging because usually we record on a specific day at a specific time yeah. of the week. Well, good, and, we're all busy. <laughs> and one of the things that I've learned is, you know, you have to be able to do these interviews, you know, when, when they are available. Well, Yeah. So it came on early in the week is when we we were able to record it, and you know at the end of the day you just you just got to keep sending the 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 uh, emails. I'm glad you didn't give up. You got to keep yeah. You have to no matter how frustrated you wanted to, but you didn't. Not just with Gary, but just uh, in general. In general, when you're trying to produce an episode, and this is why I've been asking the audience to get involved. And if if anyone wants to get involved with producing an episode. Uh, then uh, just reach out and uh, we'll 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 connect the dots because you know 
we're, we're a small <laughs> operation here, right? And we, yeah. and we could use some, some producers getting involved. Yeah, no, it'd be fine. It'd be fun to have more people involved for sure. Yeah. So, um, let's, matter of fact, let's just get down to it then. And, um, let's, uh, let's listen to the interview with Francis Gary Powers Jr. This is Gary. Hey, Gary, it's Malcolm. Hello, Malcolm. How are you? Hey, good, thanks. So Long um, time. What have you been up to? It's been a while. Yeah, it's been, it's been it a minute. <laughs> I don't know. One year, ten years, it all blurs. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a minute. I'm still doing the same thing, uh, you know, selling wine. I'm more on the wholesale importing side of it now. With the wine stuff, you were on Tyco Road the ten years ago plus. Yeah, it was, uh, it was roughly... Uh, Back in, I think I closed around 2004. I think it oh, was. Okay. And uh, yeah, I mean, you were you were instrumental to a lot of my success because you gave you know well I, you didn't give but I was awarded Entrepreneur of the Year. Uh, oh, know, under when, my reign. Well, yeah, uh, you're welcome. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was more successful. I could have done more. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was it was a, a great great learning experience. And uh, since then, I yeah, I just evolved and stayed you know stuck with it and uh, have uh, has started uh, a, a a brokering company company where I use my resources and my my relationships in Northern Virginia, Washington D.C. and Maryland to uh, connect those wineries with with the right people. Excellent. Do so, you need any contacts in Richmond? Uh, yeah. Well, uh, probably so. I know you're, you're spending okay. spending. Are you down in Richmond still, or you're back up in this uh, well, area? I'm both. I, I, I'm a nomad. Yeah. Um, I uh, am in my home right now on Monday, uh, telecommuting. I'm working for the chamber today, but from my home office, it's the day I can catch up on all the emails I get for the week <laughs> um, without any distraction. And uh, then I'm up in Tyson's midweek, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, most weeks, on the ground, making the rounds, doing events, activities like I used to do with you all. Yeah. Uh, and then I either leave Thursday night late or Friday, more, uh, Friday afternoon before traffic, and then I'm home Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and I start the routine again. Wow. But uh, so far, so good. I'm hitting the ground running. Things are going well. And now it's fortuitous that you're talking about uh, the wine and the chamber and our past experiences. What are you doing Wednesday night? Wednesday nights, I'm usually uh, in uh, Leesburg, uh, you know, with uh, with my son. We usually have uh, library time and homework and all that stuff, depending. I understand. How old's the little guy now? He's uh, 14. 14? Yeah. Wow, okay. Yep. I have, mine's 13. We'll be 14 in July. Yeah, he's almost tall as I am. And uh, my, mine beat me by a quarter inch about six months ago. Which isn't hard yeah. for, for me. I can speak for I myself. I told my wife, I said, oh, man, I'm not looking forward to looking up at him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, and, and you're busy. One of those things. But um, if you can get by in the mid-afternoon, 5.30 to 7.30 yeah. prior to library time, we're doing our my first mixer with the new chamber um, uh, in Falls Church area, uh, Dignity National Memorial Park. Uh, it is a um, funeral home and cemetery. Yeah, uh, it's one of our members. We figured we'll roll the roll the dice and see how that venue works. Um, I do have to say though that the response has been quite good. Uh, I guess people are dying to get in, but a, so uh, <laughs> one of those things. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I'll do is I'll I'll come. I'll just what I'll do is I'll bring my son 
And uh, that way we can, if we have anything we need to do, we can do it. Uh, but I'll just plan on it because this is going to be like a, a, you know, basically a, your your first event back as you're, you're serving as the president of the Chamber of Commerce? Correct. For Tyson's Regional Chamber, nice. which used to be the Vienna Chamber. Yes. Um, I helped, as you remember, to create the Vienna Tyson's Chamber during my reign there. Yeah. And since I left, uh, they uh, went on to become the Tyson's Chamber. Uh, and at the same time that they made the the move to Tyson's Corner, a new group, uh, VBA, Vienna Businessmen's uh, Business Association, formed. And so there's two chambers basically now acting: one for Vienna, one for Tyson's. I'm heading the Tyson's effort. Gotcha. Yeah. No, I'll I'll, I'll plan on attending. Yeah. You you were in Flint also. Flint, Michigan. Yes, I was there for a, well, not a while, but uh, for a mobile display, some lectures, activities. Uh, twice, I was up there. Yeah, I'm, I'm, that's where I'm from. Oh, really? No doubt. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I was uh, went around and toured some of the not inside, but the neighborhoods where those big old houses are. Yeah, and uh, went down to the old uh, uh, Buick and/or GMC office and and saw the revitalization efforts and went to the Sloan uh, Planetarium, Sloan Longway Planetarium. Yeah, it, uh, it was a great trip. Really enjoyed the uh, area. Yeah, that's like that's oh, you're 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 all over the place. Yes, I have been very busy the last few years. Um, it's been very uh, uh, wonderful to travel the country, give lectures around uh, the country as well as international, and help to honor our Cold War veterans, preserve Cold War history, and educate these kids today who really don't know anything about the Cold War. That is something that I find uh, uh, pretty much all over the place, some of the things that are, are missing, not just with the Cold War, just in today's uh, s- uh, school structure on what they're teaching the kids, and not not just what, but how little they know about it. And I'm not just talking about my son, who's uh, 14. I'm talking about, I know I know kids that are in their 20s, and I, I, I'm, when I went to go see, uh, and we'll talk about the, the film Bridge of Spies a little later, but when I when I talked about that period, they knew nothing about it. You... Yep, and that was the catalyst back in 1996 when I founded the Cold War Museum. I had started to give lectures to high school students in Fairfax County, Virginia. I'd walk into a classroom to give a talk on the U-2 incident, my father. i get blank stares. The kids thought I was there to talk about the U-2 rock band. Oh. And so all of a sudden I realized there was this disconnect that the Cold War was over, had been over for five years, yet students in high school five years after the fall of the wall didn't really know anything about the cold war or what it stood for how it took where it took place what it was uh, involved and that was the catalyst for the creation of the cold war museum now, when did you when did you start building your interest uh, of course being the, the the son of the, the of, of the late francis gary powers uh, but when did you start actually digging and, and finding that passion uh, about the Cold War and, and everything around it? I was out of high school, uh, probably my first semester or two of college uh, in California, and that's where I started to do some research, initial research at the school library, uh, trying to find out a little bit about my father and, and some of the stuff that was written in magazines of the time and, and periodicals and all. And when I started to do my research, I I didn't start out to try to vindicate my father. I didn't start out to create a museum. I started out to do research so I could learn the truth of what took place, so I would know how to answer questions that were were asked of me. 
And along the way, over the last 25 years now, as a result of this research and outreach and investigating and talking to Cold War veterans and family friends and, and people who were involved with this time period, um, not only did I end up founding the Cold War Museum, but Iowa Hill was instrumental in helping my father get the recognition he deserved as a hero to our country. So it was very nice to know that uh, my, my research, my effort, uh, my tenacity uh, all led towards this. And I didn't start out to do it. It just ended up happening. Yeah, I mean, when, you, when, you, when, you, when I look back at that time period, uh, you know, the, the late 50s, the 60s, you know, it's vastly different than what we have today with the 24-hour news cycle and Twitter, Facebook, all this information. And you, you talked about vindication for your, for your father. What, how was he viewed at the, at, probably at the time when he was, when he was shot down? Over the former Soviet Union and uh, during and after, like wh- what was how how exactly was he viewed? Well, at the time, you've got to remember that this is right on the tail end of the 1950s. McCarthyism, the Red Scare, the Red Menace, the Soviet threat, uh, Khrushchev standing up at the, the UN and or other locations, uh, 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 talking about how he's going to bury us how he's pumping uh, missiles out like sausages, um, how our government at the time in the 50s thought there was a missile gap and bomber gap and that we were behind the eight ball in regards to defending our country uh, against the Soviet Union, uh, those evil Russians at the time. And so this, this paranoia uh, contributed to the allegations and rumors and speculation that surrounded my father after he was shot down. He was shot down, I'm going to not go into the shoot-down details, but um, he was shot down May 1st of 60. Uh, He was caught, captured, interrogated, tried, and sentenced to 10 years in prison. He served a total of 21 months in a Soviet prison prior to him being exchanged on February 10th, 1962, the Glenniker Bridge in Potsdam, Germany. Now, while he was incarcerated, uh, there was all of these rumors and speculation and uh, editorials that were being published in American papers and international papers. Uh, I've read information and I've read uh, passages about how he had defected, how he had landed the plane intact, how he had spilled his guts and told the Soviets everything he knew, or that he didn't follow orders and committed suicide. So all these rumors and speculation and mistruths, part truths, are, are out there from the time period, basically because people weren't really sure what had happened. Uh, they weren't uh, our government, the CIA, uh, his colleagues weren't able to talk to him. He's now behind enemy lines. He's going through the interrogations. Um, there are reports that he is collaborating, corroborating with the enemy. Uh, There are reports that he is learning Russian so that he could continue to live in Russia upon his release. So all of this uh, uh, snowballed into um, a vicious circle in which my father got the the butt end of uh, the joke. Um, He was there. Uh, He did everything he was supposed to do. Uh, It was not his fault that he was shot down over enemy territory. There was no flame out. There was no pilot error. It was a near miss of a Soviet F-A-2 missile that exploded near enough to the tail section to cause structural failure. Um, Some of the rumors are that it was uh, sabotage by either a Norwegian spy or our own CIA who wanted to sabotage the mission to perpetuate the Cold War. There were rumors 
uh, that he had landed the plane intact and was seen drinking Russian vodka shortly after. Mm. Uh, there were rumors uh, that um, uh, it uh, was a near miss of a UFO that caused him to fall out of the sky. Wow. So you have uh, these theories and rumors and speculations, some of which were plausible to the absurd, <laughs> but they were all circulating around at the time because of my father being caught behind in any lines. Wow. Wow, that's that's a lot uh, to to process, especially yes, when you take in to circumstance, when you take in the time period and the 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 access of of uh, information, it is nowhere near today. So I, that must have that must have weighed heavy on on your father and your family at that time. Well, um, I was not yet born in 60. I was born in 65 after he came home. Yeah. Um, he was married to his first wife at that time, Barbara Gaymore, uh-huh. and uh, it was stressful on her. Wow. It was stressful on his parents, his siblings, uh, family friends, of course. Uh, but um, uh, the stress and anxiety of the time went hand-in-hand hand with yeah. the paranoia of the Soviet Union and the fear that they were going to do a surprise attack or we're going to drop a nuclear bomb on us. Yeah, I mean, when when you look back, when I look back, and you, or sometimes even depicted in movies, they 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 sh- when they have period pieces and they show the 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 houses with the bomb shelters and just that 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 looming um, uh, amount of fear of a nuclear war at that time. I mean, it was everyone was always on edge, and you know, me growing up in the early seventies, I just I remember that tension well into the eighties. So a, a, a very difficult and, and, and different time, even though we have our, our challenges today, you know, with fear and terrorism, uh, it, you know, just on, on that level, it, it, it was just, you know, it was like the like almost like the movie War Games. I mean, it's just like game over. If, if someone pulls the trigger or pushes a button, that's it. Yep. You know, and yeah, it was very interesting. Um the time period and, and how people uh, allowed their fears to uh, uh, control themselves, kind of like today. Yeah. I mean, there is the Cold War where we were fearful of the Soviets. Now there's this war on terror where yeah. we are fearful of the terrorists. Um, I want to say that it was the uh, past CIA director, uh, Mike Hayden, General Hayden, who indicated that it was a paradigm shift and that during the Cold War, It was very easy to find out where the enemy was, but very difficult to kill them. And then he went on to say that the new paradigm with this war on terror is that it's very difficult to find out where the enemy is today, but once you do find them, it's very easy to kill them. So the playing field has changed. This paradigm shift has happened where we're no longer in um, a, a battle with uh, ideologies over a, a foreign country that where we know the enemy is. We're battling an ideology that doesn't have a, well, a state per se. Uh, I mean, ISIS has a state now, of course. But I mean, um, that before they really didn't have a country. They didn't have borders. Uh, they, uh, they, they don't have borders. They were um, in various regions of the world, but more like nomads as opposed to a state government. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's breathtaking just, just thinking about it, just trying to process it. I mean, it's so easy. And I've talked about this on the podcast. It's so easy for us to, 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 to be consumed with our everyday life, live it, live in a bubble 
But when you look at the picture and you connect the dots from past yeah. to present. And if you're if you're not careful, what's that old adage? Uh, you won't see the forest through the trees. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's quite uh, something to think about, no doubt. And uh, so, with all that, you're in college later on in life, and that's when you start digging. and And you 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 said that you you started you know your interest started growing to uh, to to find out the facts. Was was that a was that a, a difficult journey at that time? Well, um, the difficulty started for me uh, when my father passed away. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to lose a loved one at any age. Yeah. Uh, but my loss was compounded with the fact that Dad was internationally known, yeah. um, and that I was a, a, a kid, a 12-year-old child, uh, trying to figure out who Dad was. But prior to his death, it was a normal childhood, uh, hiking, biking, fishing, playing, getting in trouble. I mean, you know, growing up. Yeah. Um, I was aware that my father had been shot down, imprisoned, and ultimately exchanged for a Soviet spy. Uh, we talked about this at the dinner table and, and at night when he would tuck me into bed. But as a kid, not understanding how the world worked uh, or really what the circumstances were, I thought everybody's dad had gone through something like this. Yeah. But that perception changed on August 1st, 1977, when my father was uh, killed in a helicopter crash while working for NBC television. At that time, I was 12 years old. I come home to a house full of people who inform my mom and I of the bad news. Our lives are turned upside down, and I become very introverted. I didn't understand why the press would call the house to ask questions, why people would tell me stories they knew about my dad. Mm. Here these peers were at school who knew something about me and my family, but I really didn't know anything about them or their family. And so it took a little bit of adjustment to get used to and, and uh, the loss of my dad. Um, in college, that's where I really started to come out of my shell. I was curious. I wanted to figure out how to answer these questions, uh, not just for the sake of answering them, but truthfully. So I knew what the truth was of what took place so I could you know, adequately and honestly answer a question. I started doing research, uh, first at the local library at the school. Uh, then uh, talking to my mom, my sister, my aunts and uncles, trying to find out about my father. Uh, the more I learned, more questions there were. Realized I had to first understand more about uh, the U-2 incident and the U-2 program to learn more about my dad. So I started talking to CIA officials and Air Force officials and people who flew with my father during this time period or worked with them. Uh, but the more I learned, hence the more questions there were, and I realized I had to first understand more about the Cold War in general to understand the significance of the U-2 incident and then learn more about my father. So that's where my research led. I started talking to uh, World War II veterans, uh, Korean War veterans, trying to find out about the origins of the Cold War, uh, the Potsdam Agreement, the Marshall Plan, the Berlin Airlift, uh, uh, the, even up through the dissolution of the Soviet Union, anything I could find out about the Cold War so it made more sense and I could understand uh, it as well as the U-2 incident and learn about my dad. Well, um, after uh, studying and, and researching and finding out that uh, there were hundreds of thousands of other men and women who served, fought, and sacrificed during this Cold War time period that didn't have any recognition. Here my father is, a, a, a well-known uh, Cold War hero for what he had endured. He gets uh, the, the notoriety because he got caught 
yet there are these other hundreds of thousands of other people, men and women, who fought sacrifice, and some of which who died during this conflict, mm-hmm. that haven't had recognition. And so as a result of my research to find out about my dad, I saw that there was a need to honor our Cold War veterans, preserve Cold War history, and educate future generations about this time period. And that was the catalyst uh, to create the Cold War Museum. Uh, The Cold War Museum I founded in 1996 uh, at George Mason University doing my graduate degree program in public administration nonprofit management. I submit uh, this business plan to create this museum. And I, I get an A on the project, yay. But I was thinking, you know, three years, $3 million, shouldn't be that hard to fundraise, should be fairly easy to set up. Well, 15 years later, wow. we finally got brick and mortar um, in a physical location at Vint Hill, right down the street from Warrington. Yeah. Um, so we uh, were able to open up officially in November 2011. Uh, They're at Vint Hill Farms. Uh, Vint Hill is right next to Gainesville, Virginia. Vint Hill Farms was a former Army communication base used throughout the Cold War by CIA, DIA, NSA, uh, government agencies like ASA, Army Security Agency. They were always monitoring the electronic communications, uh, primarily between the embassies uh, out of D.C. at the time. And so this is an authentic Cold War historic site. Uh, we have a 2,000-square-foot facility packed with artifacts for display and exhibit. We have another 2,000 square feet adjacent to the museum for storage, and uh, so far, so good. Uh, they're opened on the weekends, staffed by volunteers, midweek by appointment for school groups uh, or other individuals who can't make it out on a weekend. But um, more information online, coldwar.org. Yeah, no, that's that's on my top of my list now for my son and I to visit, because uh, that's a stone's throw away uh, away from us. Again, like we said before, uh, it, it is a part of his a very important part of history, but it's it's that part where so many don't know. And I commend you for spending so much time. I mean, wow, that's uh that that's a, a tremendous amount of time getting that uh, to uh, to break ground on that location. Oh, yeah. It, it took a long time, a bunch of sweat equity, wow. and uh, very good. Uh, glad that after, you know, 15 years, it finally got open. Wow, that's amazing. Now, is that is that the only Cold War museum in Virginia? Uh, yes, it's the only one in Virginia, um, but there are other, a few other Cold War-type museums around the country and yeah. a few internationally, most of which I've visited. Uh, including in Russia and uh, Berlin wow. and uh, even uh, Norway. Um, so uh, the Cold War was a world war. Yep. Uh, it affected every country to one extent or another. It was not just between the Soviets and the Americans. Yeah, and in, in, in far as uh, you know, you bridging that gap, just just bringing all that information together. Are, are you? Do you receive help from those other uh, museums or from other countries like the former Soviet Union? Well, yes and no. Um, it, it all depends on uh, budgets. It all depends on resources. Um, uh, many museums around the country and internationally have hosted our mobile exhibit on the U-2 incident, which has been traveling for the last, oh gosh, 20 years now. Uh, I think with about a year, year and a half of downtime. Um, so we've had our exhibit at the U.S. Air Force Museum, the SAC 
Strategic Air Command Museum, uh, Plant 42, the Lockheed Skunk Work, uh, the Lockheed Museum out in Palmdale. Uh, I think it's called Blackbird Air Park. Uh, we've had it uh, from uh, uh, Wash- from California museums to Washington State museums to Texas museums to New York museums to Florida museums. I mean, all across the country, um, and uh, as well as a few venues in uh, overseas, uh, including the um, uh, what's it called, uh, the Allietten, uh, or uh, better known as the Allied Museum in Berlin. And so, with this mobile exhibit on the U-2 incident. It's a way for the Cold War Museum to do public outreach and uh, uh, give other museums a sample of the type of displays that we have, uh, gives them a venue, uh, able to tell, sell ticket sales and have me over to give a lecture or presentation as part of the opening. So I've worked with many, many museums. Uh, in the past uh, on these types of uh, venues, including uh, the Flint, Michigan. Uh, we were talking about that earlier. Um, uh, up at the Flint, uh, we were at the Sloan Longway Museum, and uh, the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis display, uh, uh, well, I'm sorry, not the Cuban Missile Crisis display, the U-2 incident display was there in conjunction with a, another big museum exhibit called License to Spy. And so the License to Spy exhibit by a third-party venue, uh, basically very family-orientated, a lot of hands-on activities about how to look through periscopes and how to listen to laser beams and how to find out coded messages and all the spy paraphernalia. Um, But uh, that's uh, some of it which is make-believe in fantasy. And then all of a sudden you had these real items from a real event that was uh, involved in espionage, overhead reconnaissance. So it was a very nice compliment to the display. Wow, that's that's amazing. I'm fascinated by that. Fascinated by that that period also. Uh, so it's safe to say, Gary, that you are you're, you're you're safe to say you're an expert in this field. I mean, you you've you've studied, you've put in the the hours. You're you're very closely related to this time period. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it brings us to um, the Steven Spielberg film, Bridge of Spies. Now, how is, how is that? Because that, that, that's based on everything that, pretty much everything that you, you outlined, uh, correct? Uh, correct. Um, and what uh, happened with the movie, let me tell you about my involvement and, and what part I played with this. Uh, but before I do that, I just want to touch on the, the fact that I am a, a Cold War historian. I'm yeah. an expert in the subject matter. I've written on it. I've lectured on it. I have done commentaries. I've been uh, uh, guests, uh, uh, panel guests at various uh, sites across the wow. country, including on stage with uh, Sergei Khrushchev, David Eisenhower, Susan Eisenhower, wow. Secretary of the Air Force Tom Reed, uh, the Berlin Candy Bomber, uh, Gail Halverson, and a few others. We've, we've done commentary and, and programs uh, at various venues. So even though I'm a, a expert in this field, uh-huh. I find it very difficult to find a job as a Cold War Museum uh, um, a component uh, or uh, a historian uh, teaching this in schools because I don't have that piece of paper that goes along with it. I don't have that uh, master's degree in U.S. Cold War history. And so because I don't have that paperwork, regardless of my pedigree with dad and the family and my knowledge for the museum and the Cold War, I have not been able to find a job in academia because I, don't, I lack that critical piece. 
but I am happy to say I'm halfway through a master's degree program, my second master's, uh, in U.S. history. And I'm taking one class at a time, yeah. chugging along, and over the next you know two years or so, I will finally, finally uh, add up my units enough to graduate. <laughs> but in the meantime, I'm learning a little bit more about behind-the-scenes Cold War history, what happened before the Cold War in World War One, World War Two, some of the problems that persisted that ended up uh, transferring over. Um, so it's very interesting to know that, you know, I thought I knew a lot, but I'm very, very glad that I'm taking these Cold War-related master's degree courses because I'm learning even more. Yeah. Now, um, in regards to The Bridge of Spies, uh-huh. uh, the movie uh, has just come out in 2015. It's up for Oscars, I think, this weekend is six. the Oscars uh, uh, program. Yeah. Uh, it's up for six uh, Oscar nomination, nominations currently. I got wind in uh, June 2014 that Steven Spielberg was looking to do this movie. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, it's a rumor, no big deal, he'll never pick this subject matter. Well, in July of 2014, I got confirmation that he did select this topic. He was going to do a movie on Rudolf Abel, Donovan, the attorney who represented the Soviet spy, Rudolf Abel, and who brokered the exchange between the Soviet spy and my father from the Russian prison. Played by Tom so Hanks. the family, we were very concerned uh, as to how my father would be portrayed in this yeah. movie. Uh, it's a Steven Spielberg film. People are going to think it's gospel. His reputation will be defined by this movie for the foreseeable future. So we were very um, uh, eager to reach out and get in touch with them and, and share our concerns and do anything we could to help uh, with providing information and materials so that they could accurately portray my father uh, and preserve his reputation within the film. So the same day I finally got in touch with Mark Platt, uh, who's the producer of Bridge of Spies, one of his office employees was trying to reach me through the Cold War Museum. So I was able to talk with Mark Platt on or about July 14th. We had a very nice conversation. As a result of the conversation, I guess he liked what I had to say because he hired me on as a technical consultant. Wow. And then the next day, that's when I find out that I had gotten a phone call from his office, one of his underlings, unbeknownst to him, was reaching out to me. So it was very nice to know that they were reaching out to get in touch with me at the same time I was reaching out to get in touch with them. Wow. That's that's a lot, because it, a lot goes into making a film. I mean, pre-production is, is, is huge. And then, when, like you said, when you take into account, it's Steven Spielberg. I mean, yeah, easily to say that's going to, his his word is gospel. I mean, he's... He's he's one of my favorite directors, and not only that, I think uh, you know I've, I've I talked about this film after I saw it uh, when it when it came out when it premiered. I went uh, I, w- I went on opening weekend, and it blew me away. I mean everything everything about the the film the the the, the from from the the, the 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 scenes the the lighting the 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 the, the way he shoots it and then and not to mention i mean tom hanks and this the the cast uh, was phenomenal i mean it was i i couldn't speak enough about this film uh it was one of my favorite films from last year and uh i think that you know as a movie goer now you can speak on did he get it right or what he should have done but uh, as a movie goer when i was watching it you know I, hook line and sinker i was in and still am and 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 you know i'm just a fan of of the overall uh production of the film what, what was your thoughts on how they handled things and the way your well, father um, was portrayed the overall movie is 
awesome. Very well done. Very yeah. accurate historically with the feelings of the time. Uh, the feelings felt towards my father, Rudolph Abel, James Donovan. Um, and these feelings at times in the movie aren't so flattering. I mean, he's, he's accurately portrayed the time period and the sediment of the time. Yeah. Um, now, you have to remember that this movie is Donovan-centric. You, you see everything through Donovan's eyes. Donovan is the hero of this movie. And as a result, uh, my father, as a um, supplementary character, uh, character in it, uh, there's not enough time to answer all the questions or to really set all of the records straight because you have to squeeze seven-plus years into a two-hour movie. So um, the details of each scene are not 100% accurate. It's Hollywood. Yeah. You've got embellishing. You've got dramatic effect. You've got artistic liberty. Anything to make the movie that more appealing uh, for the viewers um, uh, uh, and uh, a way for Spielberg to do his magic, his creativity, his genius comes through on the movie and the screen through all the work that he does with he and his staff. So you have to remember when you see the movie, yes, historically it's accurate in the big picture, but the details of every scene, not so much. Um, so people have to remember, I'm going to give one example here. I don't want to ruin it for people who haven't seen it, but we, we all know the ending, basically. Uh, Dad gets exchanged, he walks across the bridge, he goes home to freedom. Um, Rudolph Abel does the same, and then I'm born a few years later. That's not in the movie, but uh, that's what the consequence of what happened, is that he came home and had a family. Um, now, during the particular scene, the shoot-down scene, yeah. um, in reality... My father is at his assigned altitude of 70,500 feet. Wow. Uh, there are eight missiles fired at the plane. One of the missiles explodes near enough to the tail section to cause structural failure. When uh, the uh, tail section gets damaged, either blown off or severely damaged, as a result, you can't fly a plane without the tail section. The nose pitches forward. The wings snap off. He find, my dad finds himself spinning down towards the ground in the wreckage in an inverted spin. He can't use the ejection seat, too much centrifugal force, gravity, all this. He couldn't get in the proper position. If he used the ejection seat, he would have severed his legs off. Um, uh, coming down, he realizes he can crawl out of the plane, and basically this is what he does. He opens up the canopy, floats off into space, undoes his harness, and is immediately sucked up halfway out of the airplane. Um, he is still connected by his air hose, about three feet of air hose. So he's half in the plane, half out mm. of the plane, could no longer reach the destruct button uh, that was on the dashboard of the cockpit. Realizing he's getting closer and closer to the ground, he breaks free of the air hose, falls free of the aircraft, and his parachute opens automatically at 15,000 feet. Parachutes down to the ground, gets caught, apprehended, turned over to Soviet authorities. So that's the facts of, of what took oh. place. I could provide more detail, <laughs> but we can do that for another time. Yeah. That... In the movie, this particular scene, yep. the pilot is zooming across the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. That is assigned altitude. He sees two missiles go off to the right of the plane. Okay, first, the suspense. Dad did not see the other missiles. Then the third missile on the, t on the movie screen explodes behind the tail section, uh, pushes the plane forward. It, it goes into a dive. The wings stay on. The plane is gaining speed. It's zooming down towards the ground. The engines have stopped working. 
um, dramatic effect. Yeah. Uh, the cockpit canopy starts to crack. Uh, the pilot undoes his harness, then reaches down, flips the destruct mechanism button up, starts to reach to press it down, and right before he presses it, the canopy shatters, and he's sucked up out of the cockpit. He is now connected by his air hose, 10 feet of air hose, hmm. wildly swinging a lot around the plane, around the fuselage, trying to crawl hand over hand to get back into the cockpit to hit the destruct mechanism. He gets close. He gets in the cockpit. He's, he's hanging on with one hand. He's reaching his arm out to try to get to the destruct button on the canopy, on the cockpit, the dashboard. He's, you know, an inch away, a, a centimeter away, a millimeter away. And then his hose breaks. He falls through the aircraft. His parachute opens. As the parachute opens, he looks up. Down comes the U-2 right over top of him. At the very last minute, the tail section breaks off. Tail goes to the left. Fuselage goes to the right. The parachute waffles back and forth in, in the uh, turbulence that it causes. He starts to parachute down to the ground, having just avoided being hit by his own wreckage. So that's the dramatic effect, the embellishing, the artistic liberty uh, that each scene entails. So while, like I said, the big picture is accurate for the time period, the details of every scene, probably not 100%. But, and this is a very good and nice but, at the very end of the film, Spielberg, the producers, the production team, uh, they do set the record straight, and they help to acknowledge my father as a hero to our country in their prologue, where on the screen the little white letters pop up, and Rudolph Abel returns home, and Donovan does this, and my father uh, ends up uh, getting these medals posthumously after he dies in the helicopter crash. So as a family, we are very, very honored, very humbled, very thankful uh, that uh, Spielberg and his crew did this acknowledgement at the end. It goes to show that it's never too late to set the record straight. Amazing. Yeah, that's amazing, and, and, and that's got to be satisfying to you and your family. I mean, it's just uh, just an amazing story. You actually have, have a cameo in the film. Uh, <laughs> I do. I, uh, I, um, I'm there on set at uh, Beale Air Force Base in California, home to the U-2 program, where they're filming the U-2 scenes. And uh, it's supposed to be Peshawar, Pakistan on May 1st. Yeah. But we're in there. Uh, I, uh, I'm giving my consulting. I'm answering questions. I'm providing documentation uh, throughout the six, eight months. I, I provided audio recordings of my father talking. Um, I re, uh, um, uh, provided um, photographs of my father, personal family photographs that they would doctor and Photoshop and use in the scenes. I was able to provide um, uh, uh, introductions to two individuals. One, the FBI agent who was responsible, his team, for capturing Rudolph Abel, and one other gentleman, CIA a security officer, who uh, was responsible for helping to identify my father at the bridge. So that's the type of, uh, of uh, information and assistance that I brought to the table for this film. Uh, but while I was on set in Beale Air Force Base, they say, hey, Mr. Powers, how would you like to be an extra? And I said, oh, sure, no problem. Yeah. Well, put this on. And, you know, I, I, they dressed me in a vintage 1950s suit. Um, I was a secret agent man. I had no speaking part, but I was there in the YouTube briefing scenes. And then I walked the pilot, my, my, who played my dad, out of the hangar doors yeah. on his 
route and walking to uh, en route to the famous May 1st mission. So it was very, very surreal to have this cameo, to walk out of the hangar escorting my father out to the plane. <laughs> a great, great experience. Yeah, no, I remember seeing you when I was watching in the theater, and I, almost, I did everything in my power not to stand up and shout your name. <laughs> hey, I know him! <laughs> well, I'm sure the audience would have appreciated your control. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that was, that's amazing. Uh, that's uh quite a journey that you uh you've been on a lifelong journey uh Gary and uh you know we uh we definitely appreciate your passion and we appreciate uh you know your service uh that you're providing as well because it's something that I'm uh I'm big on and I've talked about it on on this podcast about knowing knowing your history and the importance of it and I think that uh, when even if you're not as closely tied to the subject matter as you are, it's still very important. And that's one of the things that I do with my son is to spend time with him and uh, pick up where school leaves off. And that way we can talk about various subjects uh, that that that's happened in history and and you know go the extra extra mile to make sure he knows you know where he came from and then he'll know where he's going. So thank you for what you're doing, Gary. Well, thank you very much, Malcolm. I appreciate that. And I do appreciate your time. I don't want to keep you uh, any longer. You've, you've given us a, a good amount of your time, and it's been a long time coming. So I, I really appreciate you joining us today. Well, thank you. And I do want to do one plug, please. Yes, please. Um, uh, I do uh, need to acknowledge and thank uh, the Tyson's Regional Chamber of Commerce. Uh, for allowing me time throughout the work week to do interviews and presentations uh, in conjunction with the community outreach. Um, I am now the new president for the Tyson's Regional Chamber, and more information can be found online at tysonschamber.org. I'll be glad to help any of your listeners with uh, business or community introductions in that region. Definitely. And uh, how, how, how else? Uh, maybe you can repeat uh, the uh, Cold War Museum and any information for contacting sure. and finding more about that. And for the Cold War Museum, uh, located at Vint Hill, Virginia, 40 miles from Washington, D.C., they can be reached online at coldwar.org, and uh, they have the contact information available there. You can call up the museum and arrange for tours or find out their hours of operation. I am on their advisory board now. I no longer handle the day-to-day activity, I'm currently, uh, as I said, employed uh, by the Tyson's Regional Chamber, and that's my day job currently. Okay. And for the foreseeable future, if all works out, I think it's going to be the last job before I retire, uh, and that's going to be 10 to 15 years from now. In, in, unless Hollywood comes to knocking. <laughs> well, I don't know if I, I, my cameo is going to do that, but you never – hopeful wishing, <laughs> wish, wish, wishful thinking. <laughs> well, I'm, I, I'm also thinking as a, as a consultant – on other films uh, to come as well. So I think there's, uh, you know, someone like you has got to hold some value in that arena. I would hope so. Um, and I hope that uh, they are reach out to me in the future for any other Cold War productions. Um, and I hope, uh, and I'm sure I could be able to add uh, very good content and feedback for any production that uh, deals with the Cold War time period. Well, you definitely has, have for this podcast. So, uh, Gary, thank you for joining us today. And I'll see you on Wednesday. Uh, right, ah, thank you very much. Have a good night. Yep. Bye-bye. And that was Francis Gary Powers Jr. What a story, huh? That was fascinating. Yeah? Mm-hmm. What part did you like? Um, I would have asked the same kind of question where 
you know, how accurately history, you know, how accurately oh, it's it was portrayed. portrayed and all that stuff, you know. Yeah. And, 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 and I liked how he did a comparison, you know. That's kind of cool. And But you, you could feel his passion, Oh, right? you could tell that he speaks about this at length. And oh, yeah. he's a very good, you know, he's very he's Detailed. a very good storyteller. Yeah, yeah, when he was describing it, I was imagining it. It was very vivid. So, no, that was great. But it's an important part of, uh, of history and... Uh, also, thank Gary Powers. Thank you for joining us. We we appreciate you uh, making that time to uh, be on this podcast. Uh, but uh, it's a, it's an important part of the of our history that these stories and when you mentioned the other families, the hundreds of families, the untold stories mm-hmm. that people don't know. You know what I mean? And, and, and it's something that you have to you we must hold people. Uh, like Gary Powers Jr. and his family up and be thankful that they are telling these stories, yeah, that they're true. going out and sacrificing their time uh, to, uh, to, to, to people to keep people connected mm-hmm. to the past. Again, it's not, it's not to stay in the past, but you have to know your past in order to know where you're at and where you're going. Yeah, I mean, this, sure. isn't, this isn't a new story. So that's, uh, that's very important. And uh, again, we are, we're very thankful that uh, Gary was able to join and participate in the podcast. Uh, that was very nice of him. It was. And it was, it was a hell of a story. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, if you are in and about around uh, the uh, Gainesville, Virginia, Warrington area, check out the Cold War Museum. And that's at uh, coldwar.org. Uh, and the you can look up the address and, and how to get there. But I'm... I'm going to take a trip. We should take a trip. We should take a field trip to that. Yeah, we could. Huh? Yeah. I'm definitely going to take Justin to that because uh, I think that that would be, I mean, there's so many different museums in our backyard that how many times do you, you know, you just take it for granted. Yeah. I mean, At least I, I do. I, I And I have. <laughs> I try to go, but um, I definitely, I when I go to New York, I go to the museums there more than I would here, you know, but I, because I live here. So yes, in that sense, I take them for granted, but What's awesome about the museums here is that most of them are free. Yeah. So we really should enjoy them. And, edu- and educate yourself. I mean, yeah, you could spend X amount of hours on social media. You could spend X amount of hours playing games on your Apple TV or your, you know, what, what's the big game? Sega Genesis? <laughs> what, what? Nintendo? Atari? What is is, is that it? what you <laughs> Old man. <laughs> what's the big gaming system these days? I don't know. Xbox or Commodore. some Commodore. <laughs> I don't know. PlayStation. Okay, yeah. So you can spend X amount of hours doing that, but you know why do that when you you have so much history here in the uh, in the nation's capital and the surrounding area. True. Um, if you're a if you're a local business in the area, definitely check out uh, uh, Gary Powers at the Tyson's Chamber of Commerce. And he mentioned those plugs earlier, but I'll I will reiterate that Tyson's Chamber dot org. And Gary, I can I can speak from experience. Like I said in the top of the program, I did win Entrepreneur of the Year of two thousand four. I know, yes, right? Yes, you did. You know, I, you know I, that was a big deal for me back then. It still it is to this be a day. Big deal. It still is to this yeah, day. But I'd you know, be proud if that happened to me. Fuck. Gary was instrumental in uh, in helping me achieve that goal, but also connected me to the to to the right players. Uh, and businesses in the uh, Tyson's Corner, Vienna, McLean area. So, uh, and just you know, 
all over. So he's he's very resourceful. Uh, coming up uh, on uh, this Sunday, actually, this Sunday, the Academy Awards, the Oscars, where Bridge of Spies is up for six. Count them. Wow. How many? How many? Six. That's right. Six uh, Oscars. So we'll we'll be watching that. It's a lot of tough competition, but at the very least, doesn't matter if they win. Uh, the, at the very least, rent it or buy it. It's worth the own. I mean, I, I talked about it. I can't re- remember which podcast, but you remember Ooh, a while when ago. I, you remember when I was raving, ranting, mm-hmm. and raving about it, well, yeah. about the overall quality, the production, the yeah. acting. Yeah, did you say it was pretty much like a perfect? That's what I said. Yeah, it, 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 it <laughs> a is. perfect film. It, it just—it's a great film. Of course, I'm, I may be a little biased because a little. I, I do have a, uh, a passionate commitment to Steven Spielberg yeah. and his art, mm-hmm. uh, and Tom Hanks, for that matter. Yeah, I like Tom Hanks too. But you can get it on Amazon. Uh, you can uh, click through, right? How can you how can you rent this movie oh, on the American Riddle website and that's, on the Amazon banner? That's right. You click on the Amazon banner on the American Riddle website. We also have an iTunes banner, so you can click on that. Oh yeah, rent it, buy it, own it, whatever you want to do. Just be sure you go through AmericanRiddle.com uh, to make that happen. And also, um, usually, usually I don't explain much on the podcast, but I have a feeling we may get some some new new listeners, people that may know Gary, and some people that are interested in the Cold War. But I do want to explain how I close this podcast off. Oh. <laughs> All right, people, and I get this from people that know me, why I clo- always close the podcast when I say domino motherfucker. Now, that is an, it's an expression. It's more a, and I've talked to you, Miriam, about this, how I, how I have little Easter eggs and I have uh, little inside jokes. Mm-hmm. Usually an inside joke is between you and another person. No, you, it's you and you. Yes, <laughs> yes. And... and I do things to enter- entertain myself, mm-hmm. and one of the things I've been doing for I don't know decades on decades uh, was uh, it was taken from a film called Boys in the Hood, uh, directed by John Singleton, starring uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. and uh, Ice Cube. And in the, there's a scene where Ice Cube, fresh out of the pen, fresh out of the joint, you know what I mean, did his bid, did his time. You know what I mean? Paid his dues to society and he's out. Mm-hmm. And uh, he gets out there having a barbecue cookout. He's playing dominoes in the scene where he goes, domino, motherfucker. I always found that funny. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's it. That's <laughs> the only reason. I thought it was, I've always thought it was just a great way to punctuate something. <laughs> and throughout, since that film was released in the, I guess it was the early 90s, mm-hmm. right? Since that film was released, sometimes I'd be in conversation with with people or whatever, and I would just, you know, if I didn't have anything, I would just blurt that out, right? <laughs> sometimes it would get a laugh. Most of the time, people would just look at me sideways. So I just, you know, it, when I started doing the podcast, I think it might have been the second one or something. I can't remember which episode is when I when, yeah. I, when I said Domino Motherfucker, and it just, I got some feedback uh, from uh, a listener, and, and they liked it, and I just stuck with it. So that's uh, that's the story behind it, and it's, it, it is an inside joke, but there is a point of reference to it uh, when I say, "Domino, motherfucker." The American Riddle Podcast. Malcolm Riddle. I know you know. I know you know. I'm that guy that says, "Domino, motherfucker." Riddle. 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 Riddle.
My main man Malcolm Riddle. The American Riddle Podcast.